Glad you're here. Um, we are in the book of Romans, chapter 15, is where we left off in our verse-by-verse study through God's Word, and we will take communion this morning also. So, exciting morning together. Romans 15 is where we left off. Romans 15. Some good rustling going on in here. Love it. (coughs) Romans 15. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this special time that you've blessed us with to gather us together in your presence. Now, just to settle our hearts before you, we thank you for your word, for how you speak to us and minister to us, and we are in need of you teaching us this morning, and that work of your spirit that would transform and change our lives, God. We don't want to leave here the same way we came in. So, have your way in our hearts. We open our hearts to you, to that work that you want to do. We thank you ahead of time for all the great things that you're going to do because you are a great God. You are greatly to be praised. And so we praise you. We thank you. We honor and bless you this morning. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 15. Um, Remember, we have moved into the application portion of this letter that Paul's writing to the Roman church. And really, Romans 15 is a continuation of what Paul's been saying in Romans chapter 14. Um, Remember, there was no chapter or verse breaks when this was originally written. It was written as a letter. And so what did we learn last week in chapter 14? If you weren't here, I would highly encourage you to listen to that Bible study, go online or whatever we do, tapes, CDs. We don't do tapes anymore, but CDs. Get... uh, Get a chance to listen to that. I would encourage you because we see there in chapter 14, we learned there was instruction on how to handle disputes in the church. Is there any any disputes ever in the church? Do those things ever happen? Not here. You guys are probably unfamiliar with disputes. Maybe church over in, I don't know, Prairie View or somewhere. There's disputes. Uh, Disputes happen, you guys. It's part of really growing together as a family, is it not? Our kids have disputes sometimes and little tiffs and little fights. And it's interesting because the Bible tells us where fights, wars and fights come from. You guys remember what James said? You guys remember what James said? Anybody remember what James said about wars and fights? No one? That's okay. I'm going to read it. James chapter 4, verse 1. Check this out. (laughs) He asks, where do wars and fights come from among you? Where do they come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So it's a selfish thing. The, The Bible tells us in Proverbs, by pride comes nothing but strife. And so it's a selfishness. It's a pride issue. Why we get in disputes, why we get in fights and little battles in the church And so Paul gave us instruction, and we're going to get more this morning 
Um, and we need it. We need to hear these things, guys, desperately, because God does not want his body divided. Correct? He does not want his church divided. So we get instruction on how to handle disputes in the church, specifically over non-essential issues or our opinions or gray matter. The Apostle Paul said in chapter 14, verse 1, disputes over, look at that verse real quick with me, chapter 14, verse 1, right at the end. Not to have disputes over doubtful things. And those are things that come up and the Bible does not give us specific instruction on it. And so there are things that are totally black and white, but there's some issues in the scriptures that, that God doesn't give us uh, 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 instruction specifically on. So we have been given the liberty by our Lord to walk with him and to ha- allow him to lead us and guide us into these things. And so the problem is there's so much conflict in the church over non-essential issues. It's pettiness, you guys. And we learned last week that we are to lay aside those things, those non-essentials, and focus on the essential, Jesus Christ. Has, has Jesus radically transformed your life? Has his love radically transformed you? Anyone here this morning? <laughs> Amen to that. Hopefully every one of us here. And as we walk with the Lord, we learn how to love as he loves you guys. We learn to treat one another as he wants us to treat one another. We learn how he wants us to do church, not as maybe a religious leader defines church, but as he defines our church. And so we learn this morning that we need to be, we must be other-centered. Our lives must be others-oriented. Do you remember before you got saved? Did you care about anybody else but yourself? For me, it was like I didn't care about anybody else except what I could get from you or get off of you. It's like all I cared about was me, myself, and I. And then you get born again, and what happens? God, all, a miracle happens, correct? You get born again. God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our hearts and in our lives, and things change, don't they? The way you view people, the way you treat people, the way you handle situations, the way you handle money, the way you handle crisis, the way you, do, the way you do marriage, the way you do child rearing, everything begins to change and you see the wisdom of God as you walk in his wisdom, as you walk in his ways, as you apply the word of God. And so we're going to learn this morning about being other-centered. Look at chapter 14 says, or 15 rather, verse 1. I'm going to read the first, first three verses. Here's what God's word says, gang. Check it out. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples. Some of your Bibles may say weaknesses or infirmities. Bear with the scruples or infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification Why? For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And so notice Paul brings back up this issue of the strong brother and the weak brother. And we talked about that last week. The stronger brother, it's not necessarily stronger in the sense of more powerful or more mighty. 
It's in the sense that if you are strong in this area of liberties, that you are liberal in your liberties, that you don't have a problem with those non-essentials. They're not a big deal to you. And so you feel liberty to do certain things. And, but the problem is we need to guard those things in our lives in order that we don't cause anyone to stumble, a weaker brother. The weaker <laughs> brother is more narrow in his liberties, a little more restrictive in his liberties. And so that brother, remember, is not to, not to judge, his, judge the stronger brother. You're not to despise one another, but we are to love one another and to accept those differences, correct? And focus on the main thing of loving one another. And so we then who are strong, please notice Paul includes himself. We then who are strong. Paul said back in chapter 14, I think it's verse 14, he said, and he, he considers himself a stronger brother. Why? He says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. So Paul had no problem with his liberties. In fact, that's an amazing thing to say coming from a Jewish background. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, strict, raised strict in, the, in Judaism. And remember, they had dietary concerns and don't touch this, you can't touch that, and all kinds of rules and regulations. Now Paul gets born again, he gets radically transformed, and he's okay doing what? Having a BLT. He's okay having eggs and bacon in the morning and carnitas <laughs> or, you know, all that good stuff. He's okay, as long as it doesn't trip someone up. As long as he's not using his freedom, his liberties to hurt someone spiritually, to, to, to tear down or trip up another brother. And so Paul says, we then who are strong, those who think they're strong. Who thinks they're strong this morning? Isn't it always, yep, that's me. I'm, I'm strong, brother. Oh, if you are, look what he says. You ought to bear with, and it's the Greek, it's continually bear with, means to carry, to sustain. It means to be considerate of. It means to endure patiently the infirmities or weaknesses of who? Of your weaker brother, of those without strength. So this morning, listen, if you consider yourself strong in relation to others, then use your strength to serve others. In other words, instead of using your strength to please yourself. Because look what he says. He says, uh, we ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So as we read these first three verses, Paul's communicating an other-centered life is the way to live. The, an other-centered life is the way to live. That word please means to cause to feel happy and satisfied. And Paul's saying, don't take only your wishes into consideration in fact, the next verse tells us what? That we are to please our neighbors. And listen, that, again, that word please means to feel happy, to make happy, to feel satisfied. Do you know I want you guys to be happy? That was like, like, a third, like maybe 3% of the room. Do you know that I want you to be happy? Okay. There's, there's the world's way. Then there's the word of God. His way to happiness. And they are total opposites. Did you guys know that? The pathway to happiness in the world, it's what? It's all about me. What I can get, selfishness, selflessness is seen as weakness. It's seen as you're going to be depressed. You're going to be bummed out. You're not going to be satisfied. God's word says you live a selfless Others-oriented, others-centered life. And guess what? You will be blessed. You will be happy. 
Jesus said those that want to be great in his kingdom should be what? Servants of, of the people that we're comfortable with. People that are really cute and really sweet, dress good. All. All means all. That's everybody. Even the people that rub us wrong. Even the people we don't, we don't hang with. Maybe of different subcultures or different, you know, different, uh, you know, different types of people. If you want to be great in his kingdom, to be a servant of all. And God has radically changed our thinking, you guys. And here's the thing about this, is that God doesn't think the way the world thinks. And sometimes, sometimes what can happen as Christians, we start to think, you know what? If I do it God's way, I'm going to get the short end of the stick. I'm not going to be happy. But listen, you go the world, you try to do a hybrid thing of trying to walk in God's ways and trying to walk in the world's ways, you will be miserable. You will not have peace. You will not have joy. You will not have satisfaction or fulfillment because God tells us he's the one who invented happiness. He's the one who invented satisfaction. And he says, this is the path to go if you want to experience a life that is satisfying and happy. And so check it out. Let each of us what? All of us, that's every one of us as believers, Give satisfaction, make happy, or make someone else good. That's what verse 2 says. The exact opposite of pleasing the self. It's interesting to me to consider that because it's not talking about being a men pleaser. Do you know anybody that's a men pleaser? It's all like, it's all eye candy. It's all, it's, but really, if you're pleased, trying to please men, you're a men pleaser, it's all about you. You're trying to get the praises and the, and the, the no, people noticing you and seeing you. This says what? But please others for their good, for them to bless others, to please them for their good and for their spiritual welfare leading to what? Edification. In, in other words, it's other-centeredness. I want you to be built up. I want you to be strengthened. That's edification. What does edification mean? Somebody. Build up. Thank you. In other words, I want to see your life built up. I want to see you strengthened. I want to see you grow in the things of the Lord. And so when people leave your presence, are they encouraged? Are they uplifted? Are they built up? Or are they put down, rejected, exhausted? Again, when people leave our presence, how do they feel? Love says, what can I do to please you? What can I do to bless you, that person? others, those around me, those in the body of Christ. Well, why should we do that? What's the reason? What's, what, look at the next verse. What's the example for us? Who is the example for us to follow? Jesus. We're his followers. Jesus is, listen, Jesus this morning is our example in all things, is he not? And so Paul, four is a reason word, three, verse three, for even Christ did not please himself. Jesus did not live to gratify himself. A self-seeking, selfish life. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The example is Jesus who always puts others first. We please others because that's the way Jesus lived. That's the reason. We choose to live our lives, check it out, pleasing others, considering others' needs before our own. For some of us, this is a huge wake-up call this morning. It's an important one. Because the example we see of our Lord's other-centeredness, 
is written in that verse, verse 3. But as it is written, just as the Bible says in Psalm 69, verse 9, and it's a, it's a picture, it's a messianic verse, and it's a picture of Jesus the Son speaking to the Father here. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You know what reproaches? You guys know what reproaches means? Anybody know what reproaches means? Insults, thank you. But they're, more, they're insults meant to damage. They're insult, insults intended to damage, and who did they come from? His own people. Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not, correct? Those insults that were hurled at Jesus, aimed at the Father, the Father and the Son are one, both of them took the hit. And as Je- you guys remember when Jesus hung on the cross, battered? Scourged? Barely even, I mean... Barely even able to breathe as he's lifting himself up. What were the people doing? Remember what the people were doing? They were hurling insults at him. Oh, we don't want to just break the body. We want to break his spirit, break him emotionally. We want to bust him up. If you are the son of God, come down and save yourself. If he did that, he could have saved us, by the way. Hurling insults at him. And how did, how did our Lord respond to that? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. Seven statements of Jesus on the cross. Amazing what he says. And one of those things is other-centered. He builds a relationship between his mom and who? John. And John the Apostle. He's thinking about building. He's suffering and he's thinking about what? Building a relationship. Extending forgiveness to people. And so Jesus is our example in all things. He bore our infirmities. He bore our offenses. He, listen, here's what Jesus did. Check it out. He oriented his life so others were blessed through his suffering. He was willing to suffer in order to do good to others. Does, listen, does Jesus put up with annoying things? I don't need a show of hands. <laughs> Does Jesus put up with offensive things? How are we doing? How are we doing this morning? Putting up with those things. Are you easily offended? Are you hypersensitive? Do people have to walk on eggshells around you? I look at this, I'm challenged. Because if that's the case, there may be too much of me in my life. That conflict you're involved in, that little petty dispute, the the drama you got going on, is that really that big in light of the cross? (coughs) If Jesus bore reproaches, if he bore insults, if he bore those things, then shouldn't we be willing also to bear those things and to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing? That's the example that we're to follow here. Jesus did not live to please himself, but to bless others. The Christian life is an others-centered life. Well, the Bible teaches us the same thing. Look at verse 4. Not only does Jesus teach us that, and he wants us to walk in that, but the Bible teaches that. For whatever things were written before were written, why? For our learning. 
Why? That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So everything in our Bibles, you guys, check this out, from Old Testament to New Testament, is written, why? To help us to learn, correct? To help, to help us to learn how to walk with God, to know God, how to live our lives, what marriage, what's life all about, where I came from, where I'm going. It helps us to learn, and not just that, that we might, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, have hope. The Bible is all about patience, isn't it? Can you guys think of anybody in the Old Testament that was true in their life? Joseph, thank you. Noah, anybody else? Job, I hear Job. Who else? Anybody else? David, yeah. Think about, I mean, think about David. The Bible teaches, think about that guy. He was other-centered, wasn't he? He got in trouble when he was self-centered. Do you guys remember when he fell? Right? He fell with Bathsheba into adultery and murder with Uriah. He got in trouble when he was self-centered. He was successful when he was other-centered. You guys remember when he was a young man? He had been anointed king by Samuel. Remember that? The dunking, poured the oil flowing on his head. But he wasn't king yet. He had to wait a little while, didn't he? Ten years he was hunted down by Saul. Ten years, think about that, on the run for his life. I think to drive the Saul out of his heart, because every one of us has got a little Saul in there that needs to be removed. Ten years. That's some patience, isn't it? But not just that. Before he even took the throne as a young man, taking care of being faithful to take care of his father's flock. You guys remember that? And then his dad calls him aside. He texts him, get over here. I need you to, to deliver the bread and the cheeses to your brothers on the front lines. You know what he could have said? Dad, don't you remember the anointing thing? I'm I'm king. I'm, I'm king boy. I don't do that stuff. That's deacon work. That's, ser that's servant stuff. But what, you guys remember what happened? He was willing to do what his father asked him to do. And guess what happened when he did that? He delivered the cheese and the bread. Do you guys remember that? The crackers and cheeses, the hors d'oeuvres for the boys. And who did he come in contact with and take out? Goliath. That's right. God used him mightily. The, patient, the Bible teaches us all about patience and perseverance. The Bible is also comforting, isn't it? Have you guys found that true in your own life, that the Word of God is comforting? It's like, why would you go anywhere else? You know, Southern comfort ain't going to do it. Comfort food ain't going to do it. Got to keep doing it over and over. But we come to the Word of God. It's comforting. It gives us hope. Hope is the absolute expectation of good. We, we're taught patience, and with patience there's hope because God is working all things together for good of those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. Well, I get it, Pastor. I'm hearing you, man. The Bible teaches us to live an other-centered life, an others-oriented life. But if I follow Jesus' example of always putting others first, like we're taught here, I'm not sure if it's all going to work out. <coughs> I'm not sure if it's going to work out, man. Is there any example from the Bible where it worked out for good? Someone mentioned Joseph, didn't they? 
Think about Joseph, what he went through. You guys remember, jo- you guys remember Joseph? All that he endured, he always kept his heart and mind focused on God. And God worked it all out together for good. All of the disappointments, all of the hardships, all the rejection, his own family turning on him, all the difficulty, all the hardship. He persevered. He was patient. God bringing him comfort. He didn't have church. He had no church to go to. He had no Bible to read. All he knew was that the Lord had a calling on his life. He had a relationship with the Lord. That was it. That God had a calling on his life, a promise from God. And he knew that God would be faithful to fulfill it in his life, to work it. He had hope. Listen, those of us here this morning, those who know their Bibles, know that the more you know the Word, the more you should know the heart of God. Unless you're reading just for information, or just for purely academia, or just just to show off, then you're a Pharisee. (laughs) But really, as we study God's Word, we study to know His heart, the heart of God. Of God. God's heart is not to push people away, but to draw people unto Himself. Are you with me this morning? He wants to draw people unto Himself and He wants to use our lives to do that, gang. How patient has God been with you? Just a little? Yeah, another word for patience is long suffering. There's a reason it's that word, long. He suffers long, putting up with us. What does God do while we struggle in our failures, our offenses, our weaknesses? What does he do? He's patient. Aren't you thankful for his patience? Aren't you thankful that he doesn't fire you? Give up on you? Aren't you thankful that anybody here thankfully doesn't give up on us? Thank you, Lord. And so the scriptures bring us patience. They, give us, they teach us comfort and, and hope. And you know what God does so often? He lovingly brings difficult people into our lives. Some nervous laughter he does. Remember the context here is conflict in the church. Why why does God bring difficult people into our lives? So we can get mad, jump churches. Everywhere I go, there goes conflict. Why does God bring difficult people into our lives? Listen, that we would learn to love like him. That we would learn to put others first. That these things that we're reading wouldn't just be up here in our noggins, but they'd drop into our hearts and be worked out into our lives. Are you with me this morning? I know this is heavy stuff. It's good stuff. It's a good heavy. It's, it's, it's necessary. We learn how to be patient with others. Because aren't we like natural irritants? Aren't we like natural irritants to one another? <laughs> really? But God supernaturally touched our hearts, and he's asking us to walk in this. And as we do, as we're going through difficulty, what do we do? We get into the Word. We open our Bibles, and we pray. And the Bible does what? It teaches us about patience. teaches us about comfort. It teaches us about hope. It's not always easy. We're all a work in progress. And you know what I'm realizing more and more? That sometimes I'm the difficult person. Sometimes we complain, oh, Lord, you brought another difficult person into my life. Maybe, he, maybe he's bringing a mirror to show you. <laughs> Correct? Yeah. Remember Jacob? Anybody remember Jacob in the Old Testament? He, what does his name mean? 
Heel catcher, thank you. Conniver, schemer. Right, weasel. <laughs> right, he rips off the birthright, the blessing, rips off his dad, his brother, family. He goes on the run, and where does he end up? Anybody remember? Laban. Uncle, starts with L, rhymes with Nabin. <laughs> Uncle Laban's, right? 50 times a, a scoundrel scumbag than Jacob is. To deal with him. To work in our hearts. And what, what, what is God calling us to do? To embrace. We're going to see in just a moment to receive those people, your brothers and sisters. To love them. To serve them. To follow Jesus' example who's patient with us. Who serves us. Who loves us. Who graces us. Who blesses us. And in all of this, there's hope. The Bible brings us Hope in affliction, go to your Bible, find support in your Bible. Well, look at the next verse. Paul prays for them because after hearing these things, you got to have some prayer, don't you? There's three, there's actually like three prayers in this chapter. Here's the first one now, he says, May the God of patience and comfort. Is that interesting? The scriptures are full of patience and comfort. God is the God of patience and comfort because it comes right from his heart. His word comes right from his heart, who he is. He's the God of patience and comfort. May he grant you to be what? Like-minded towards one another. How? According to Christ Jesus. Why? That you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God is glorified when we are other-centered. When we live others-oriented lives, God is glorified. Does anybody here want to glorify God this morning? Does everyone here want to glorify God this morning? Amen. So what what does he pray here? What's he saying? God is patient. He puts up with a lot. He keeps loving. God brings us comfort. And he prays that the Lord would give you what you need. He would furnish you. He would endue you all, that we'd all be on the same page, so to speak. The church living, how? Just like our Lord. A selfless, others-centered life. Paul doesn't say, just follow Jesus' example. He prays for them. Because, listen, God is able to help us walk in this, correct? The Bible tells us it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so Paul prays that the Lord would help them, God empower them to be like-minded. And listen, a powerful church does what God says, no matter what the size of the church is, no matter how big, how grandiose, a pa- there's power when we as a church, and this is for everyone in the body. This is not just from select few. This is every one of us in the church he's praying this for. There's power when we as a church choose to live how he wants us to live. And you know how he wants us to live? He said to take up your cross daily, to deny yourself and to follow him. You ever thought, of, thought that through? To deny yourself... To take up your cross, death to the self, my selfishness. And what, what's, what's left if I deny myself and death to myself? What's left to follow Jesus? That's the best part, you guys. 
is walking with him, following his lead. And listen, there is huge pressure today in the church to find power and influence in worldly things. Or using worldly, carnal means and methods to get the work of God done. And you know how to get the work of God done? What makes a church powerful is God's Spirit working through others-centered lives, following the Lord's example. Verse 6, he says that you would all have one mind. I love that word, with one mind. In the Greek, it's, check this out, humathumadon. That's kind of a fun word to say, isn't it? Can you, can you, can you say that with me? Humathumadon. Ready? Humathumadon. Here's what it means. It means to rush along in unison, one accord with passion. You ever seen like a herd of animals just like sheep? That's us. (laughs) To rush along in unison and then to have what? That we would have one mouth. This is every one of us, same speech, what's coming out, our prayer, our praise together. And by the way, divisions and contentions in the church keep this from happening. Anybody here ever go to a symphony? Or an orchestra? Isn't it awesome when everybody's playing together and you got the guy... He's doing that, th- you know, he's doing that thing, that stick thing. Is it a stick? Is that what he holds? What's it called? You know? Baton? It's called baton. I thought batons were the things they twirl and... You guys, okay. And everybody starts to play together in unison. It's like, wow, this is so awesome, man. Sounds so cool. But you ever watch them before? Before the guy steps up and taps the sticky thing and gets them going? When they're practicing, it's jacked up, isn't it? (laughs) One guy's like tooting his horn over here. Another guy's playing some other instrument over here, you know, and it's like, man, that's just noisy. And Paul's praying that we would be in unison together. We'd be going the same, following Jesus, going the same direction. And our praise and our prayers and our worship would all be going together in the same direction. Listen, this morning, our unity and our oneness brings glory to God. When we are other-centered, God is glorified by it. It's so important. We are to make a decision this morning, all of us, you, me, the church. When we choose to live selflessly, God is glorified. Listen, Paul's talking to the whole church here. Every one of us. God is magnified. And that word glorified literally means his worth and his value is expressed. When we are living selfless, other-centered lives, God's worth, his value is seen. People see God, you guys. How cool is that? This morning, hey, listen, what's God worth to you? What's God worth to you? Do you value him? Is is God valuable to you? You know, we said, oh yeah, we want to glorify God, but will you live an other-centered life? Will I? Will I? Will I drop that petty, dumb dispute that will mean nothing in eternity? That little tiff, that little riff? Do I value God enough to drop that little fight in the drama that I'm involved with, that I got going? Will you drop that in light of eternity to glorify the Lord, to bring value and honor to him? Do you really want to glorify God? Then that stuff needs to go. Put it aside. 
Start to live your life to bless others, to serve others. And so he goes on, verse 7, Therefore, in light of that, receive one another. How should we receive one another? How does it say we should receive one another? What does your Bible say? Just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Therefore, in light of all this, that word receive, you know what it means? It means to take to oneself, to accept, to take to one side. You know what Paul's saying here? Because Jesus received you, you are obligated to receive other people. Listen, this morning, it's a miracle that God has received us, isn't it? That's like probably like 50% of the room. Some of you are saying, well, you know what? He, he picked a winner here, baby. <laughs> Look out, man. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it's a miracle he said yes to me. That's all I know. So jacked up, man. The, the text begs the question. We're to receive one another just as Christ also received us. How has Jesus received you? Pure grace. Love. Did he tell you to clean up your act before you came? Man, you stink. Wash, get, you need to scrub, shave and a haircut, two bits. You got all that baggage, dude. When you get your act together, then you can come to me. Does the Lord say that? He invites us to come just as we are to him. And he receives us with loving kindness, with forgiveness. God has forgiven our sins and chosen to remember them no more. You guys remember that earlier in the book here in Romans? All your sins, your sins have been forgiven, forgotten, gone forever because of your trusting in Jesus Christ. That's glorious. How has he received you? Complete forgiveness. Pure grace, total love. No matter how good you've been, no matter how bad you've been, he receives you no matter what. Does he nitpick you? Does he get on your case about your inadequacies, your weaknesses, your failures? Has has he blessed you? That's a lot of questions today, Pastor. Enough with the questions. (laughs) He's lavished us with grace. He's blessed us. He pours out, he continues to pour out his blessings into our lives. Is Jesus easily offended? No way, man. Do you have a right to nitpick others? Are you holding a record of wrongs this morning? The Bible says love holds no record of wrongs. Jesus is not holding it against you. How has he received you? With grace, with mercy, with love. Listen, this morning, look at this verse. Receiving others brings God glory. You want to bring God glory? Receive others, just as Jesus received you. This is compelling this morning. If we are receiving one another, there will be unity and oneness, and unity and oneness brings God glory. Let's finish up, and we'll be done here in a minute. We'll take communion. We're not going to get through the chapter, that's for sure, this morning. It's like, so good. You get a chance to read ahead. Therefore, he said, receive one another. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ 
has become a servant. It's heavy. Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. That's the Jews. Why? For the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And why did Jesus become a servant? That the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. By the way, a Gentile is a non-Jew. And again, (laughs) praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall have hope. And so, why does Paul talk about Jews and Gentiles here? Why is he even bringing this up? Yes, thank you. Unity. Hello. Why? Because the Jews and Gentiles couldn't stand one another. And now they're coming together in Christ into the church with these backgrounds, baggage, all their stuff. And it's God who's brought them together. And why has he brought us together? Well, we read there to praise him for his mercy, to give him thanks, to give him praise, to give him honor. And Jesus Christ is our peace. He took down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile believer. What is that? Ephesians chapter 3, I think it is. Ephesians 3, it talks about that. In Christ, there's no more Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are a family. We are family. let's, Let's rewind that. How about the song we just sang a little while ago? I'm a child of God. Does that still amaze you? Oh, there's problems with that song, I think. You know, I don't know about this song. I don't know. Really? John, the apostle, after decades of walking with Jesus, was blown away that he was a child of God. He said, behold what manner of love that we might be called the children of God! Exclamation point. And that is what we are. He was blown away. And Paul is reminding the church, we are a family. There should be no barriers. We should receive one another and love and serve one another. Don't build up what Christ has torn down. Build one another up. We are a family. He's saying here, let's praise God together. And if you think the way God wants you to think, you act the way that God wants you to act, guess what? You will be other-centered. You will be. No doubt about it. If you walk in what he's calling you and I to walk in, I think I'm amazed at verse 8. Jesus has become a servant. That is just amazing. He became a servant. He humbled himself, it tells us. Have this mind, this mind that was in Christ be in you too, who became a servant, humbled himself. Why? What does it say why? For the truth of God confirming as a servant, giving his life was in order to fulfill God's promises he made previously. God saves Jews to keep his promises. That's glorious. And then in verse 9, that non-Jewish believers would praise and honor and give value to God for his mercy. Are you grateful for his mercy this morning? 
The Bible tells us, Paul quotes four scriptures here demonstrating the Old Testament roots that God was going to call for unity of both Jewish and Gentile believer for the worship of the Lord. I would say this morning, the simple application is God wants us to be unified together in our worship, to worship him in spirit and in truth. He quotes again from Deuteronomy uh, verse 30, or chapter 32, verse 43. Rejoice, who? Gentiles with his people, the Jews. God wants us all to rejoice together, all believers. I, I looked up a definition of rejoice for you guys that like definitions. I thought this was pretty cool. To have a merry outlook because of a sense of victory. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Do you have a merry outlook because who gave us the victory? Who's made it possible? Jesus. And because of, listen, because of his servanthood, he became, because of his servanthood, because of his other-centeredness, because of his love, his demonstration of love, he brought two opposing groups together. I, that's beautiful. When there's divisions in the church, when there's factions and fighting and drama, how are we going to bring healing and peace and reconciliation? It's by what? It's by humbling ourselves and serving one another and loving one another and forgiving one another and walking in those things. Verse 11, Psalm 117, verse 1. Again, this call to praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And then look at this four-letter word in verse 11. I, I don't know how to, is it laud him? Loud him? Laud, thank you. I, I looked it up. Check this out. Because I, I never really knew what that meant. I knew it meant something good to, to do for the Lord. It's literally, it's praise that fits. Praise that is fitting, appropriate to the situation. Have you ever given God praise that's fitting to your situation? There's anybody ever have more month than money and wonder how you're going to make ends meet? And then all of a sudden what happens? God comes through. Oh, Lord, thank you. But typically we do it after he comes through, don't we? After the deliverance. Hallelujah. Right? Children of Israel get through the sea, the, you know, the, the sea pass through on dry ground. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But what about before and during? Saying, God, thank you for being faithful. I know you promised to work all things together for good. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to loud you. Loud you. I'm going to loud you, loud you. I'm going to do whatever this is saying. I'm going to praise you. That's fitting. We should praise him for who he is. For what he's done, what he, what he has done, what he's doing currently, and all that he's yet to do. That's praise that's fitting, you guys. Fitting for so great a God. And then in verse 12, Isaiah 11, he quotes from, the root means the origin of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, and Jesus came in his humanity from the lineage of David. And Jesus, of course, rose up, rose from the dead. He rules and reigns. And he gives us hope, right? And in fact, as we finish verse 13, the second prayer, and we'll be done here. This is important to tie it all together. Paul prays, or he says, or he encourages he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? I like somebody praying that for me. Our God is the God of hope, you guys. And what does Paul pray? That the God of hope would fill, would pour into your heart, into your lives, what? All gladness, all joy, and peace too. Does anybody like God's peace? Pour into wholeness. It means to join together as a whole. His peace, his rest in believing. Notice that. Don't miss this. Two words. As you simply are trusting in him and believing that everything he said is true and he will fulfill it. Do you believe that? This morning. I think as we look at our text, as we tie this all up, Do you believe others-centeredness and others-oriented life is the path to happiness? Do you believe that? Guess what happens when you walk in that? You believe it and you walk in it. Here comes the flow of what? What does it say? Joy and you start to walk in it. You're experiencing joy. You guys, some children's ministry people know that song. Joy is... J is for Jesus. Joy, right? You know that song? And O is for others. And Y is for you and you and you and you and you. You guys know that song? Anybody know that song? No, that's okay. I just taught it to you. <laughs> Joy. J is for Jesus. O is for others. Y is for you. You get that, you get that in the right order, and you're going to have joy. J is for Jesus, number one. Number two, others. O. Y is for you. You're last. If you get it mixed up, it's like yodge. It doesn't even, you can't even sing it. Listen, do you believe following Jesus' example of pleasing others is the right way to go this morning? Guess what? You believe it, you walk in it, what's going to happen? Here comes the flow. Joy and peace. Get ready. Are you ready? He wants to fill you up. Do you believe receiving others as Jesus received you is how God wants you to be? Do you? Get get ready. You start receiving some people just as Jesus received you. Look out, man. You're going to turn on the spout where the joy and peace is coming out. Overflowing with absolute expectation of good by God's dynamic spirit, his ability, his strength to perform or achieve. Listen, God wants to do that in your life, my life this morning, to walk in those things. And guess what? When we do, it brings him glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. What a precious passage. So, so much. So necessary, Lord. Help us to walk in these things. We want to bring you glory. We don't want to be taking credit. But we want to honor you. We want you to be honored. You to be valued. You to be adored. And Lord, forgive us for how we've fallen short so often in these areas, bringing in unnecessary drama and unresolved conflict. 
And you tell us, blessed are the peacemakers. So, Lord, as much as depends upon us, may we do that. Help us to do that. Remind us to extend forgiveness. To hold no record of wrongs. Just as we've been received, Lord, that we would receive others in that same fashion, that same way. Thank you for all that you're going to do. And as we are still in an attitude of prayers, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Perhaps you've been listening this morning and you realize you've never come to that place of a real and a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who came from heaven died on the cross for your sins, my sins. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. He loves you. He demonstrated his love by giving his life for you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this morning, you know he's speaking directly to your heart. You're going the wrong way. You're headed on the path that leads to destruction. And he's calling you to himself to repent and place your trust in Him, to find the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of eternal life. It's the most important decision you'll ever make is concerning your eternity and where you're going to end up. And I want to extend this offer right now to you. You want to receive Jesus today. It's so simple. Even a child can understand. You want to receive Him today, to believe on Him. I want to pray with you right now. I'm not asking you to join a church or sign some membership card or perform some kind of a ritual. None of those things will save you. None of those things will save you from death, from hell. Only Jesus, he's going to rescue you right now. You come just as you are. You don't need to clean up your act. You come just as you are. Let me pray for you if that's you. Would you raise up your hand this morning? Let's pray if that's you. Anyone at all here this morning? Raise that hand real high if that's you this morning. I want to pray for you. I see your hand. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else? Don't put it off. If the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. Anyone else this morning? For this one that's raised his hand, you can repeat. You can repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. Thank you for dying for me, for my sins. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you wash me and cleanse me and make me new? Would you fill me with your spirit? I don't want to go back to those sins anymore. I surrender to you. I give you my life. I place my life in your hands. You are my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this precious one who's opened his heart to you to receive you. We pray that your hand would be upon his life, stirring him up, Lord. That you'd fill him with your spirit, that he would walk in the newness of life. You'd so bless each step he takes as 
He follows you, Jesus, as he walks in these things that he learns, as he spends time in your word and in prayer, seeking your face, that you lead and guide him in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We thank you, Lord. You've made it so simple, so beautiful. For you are beautiful, Lord. You do all things well. And we praise you and thank you this morning. We give you the rest of this time, our time of communion. And it's in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.